This morning we're looking at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. 1 Peter 2, 13 to 17. Oh yeah, I put the, uh, the note sheets by the donuts. I wasn't sure if that would help or hinder you all. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I thought some of you would probably notice the note sheet for the first time because you're going to the donuts. But then you'd probably see the donuts and then not notice the note sheet. So, yeah. I'm going to get a note sheet. There they are. Oh, donuts. <laughs> hmm. All right. So, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Let's uh, read and then we'll, we'll pray together. The text says. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. This is God's word. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for uh, this morning, the, the worship that we've had together as your people. Uh, we thank you for the reminder we just had in communion that you, uh, that you sent your son to redeem us, and he came and died for us. You saw us in our sin. You could have turned away, left us to our own sinfulness, but you had mercy on us and sent your son to purchase us out of slavery to our sin. Um, even as we're reminded of Peter, he, he, he redeemed us from a, a futile way of life. And having been saved from a futile way of life, we are here as, as lovers of you and of your Son and of your Spirit and lovers of your Word and lovers of one another, for you have done a great work in our heart. So thank you for your mercy toward us. Thank you for uh, the teaching that we just came from. Uh, uh, reminders from your word of the mission that you've called us, uh, called us to, to make disciples in the church, to grow the church, to love the church, and to plant more of them. And uh, we do this uh, under your authority. We do it so we do it humbly, and we do it confidently, and we do it with that promise that uh, you say, "Behold, the Lord Jesus says, "Behold, I am with you." even to the end of the age. And so uh, these things that we do in the church to grow the church, to be the church, to plant churches, we don't do these things in our own strength. We don't do them uh, alone. We do them uh, in the presence of the Lord Jesus, our King. And so we thank you for those encouragements. And I pray, Lord, that uh, you would help us as a church to to be and to do what you've called us to do. And I do pray for unity. Uh, the unity comes not just from absence of disagreements or differences of opinion about the way things ought to be, the way things ought to be done. It comes from a uh, common uh, zeal for the Lord Jesus Christ, a common appreciation for Him, a common love for Him, a common willingness to lay down our lives for Him, uh, a common uh, uh, willingness to imitate Him. And so I pray that you would give us that kind of unity, a Christ-exalting unity. And now as we look at this text, uh, a gift from you, uh, always given providentially at the right time, we pray that the, the Holy Spirit would open it up to us that we might uh, find it to be tasty and nourishing, for truly it is. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So, boy, you got uh, the general sentiment of this uh, paragraph. It's about submission to government. Uh, and uh, I guess, my guess is for most, most of us, probably for most Christians, uh, you wouldn't come to a text like this and ever really consider it to be rich or exciting. Maybe not. Maybe you would. Hey, let's go to the session that's talking about submitting to government. I don't know. Do you guys do that? Um, if you're a guest speaker uh, going to speak at different churches or different places, I doubt the guest speaker would ever do this unless there was, he was asked to do it, right? If he showed up and he speak, preached on this, he say, well, what is he doing? What agenda does he have? Unless, of course, he was invited to speak to some government officials. And then uh, those government officials might like hearing that everyone's supposed to obey them. That might be perfect. Well, I think, though, that if we're disappointed with this kind of passage, I believe it's because we don't understand the passage, passage properly, um, we can, uh, I think, more easily and more readily be impressed with the exhortation that uh, Peter gave us in chapter 1, verse 13, to uh, fix our hope uh, completely on the grace that is being brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Boy, we read that, and that's... That's tasty at first sight, right? Uh, tasty at first taste? I don't know. Um, but I think that this passage is, is an explanation of that. When he says, fix your hope completely on the undeserved favor of God at the revelation of Jesus Christ that is coming to you right now, right? It's being brought to you. Remember, that's, the, that's really the more literal translation. That future grace is bring, being brought to you right now. You're tasting it now. When he says that, um, he is going to. He proceeds throughout the letter to explain that further, and that's what this text is. He's in, he's telling us where the grace is found. The undeserved favor of God is found, and he's saying, "Come and enjoy it." That's why he says, "Submit to the government." Um, you remember at the beginning, in chapter one, verse two, when he's introducing himself. He says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. This is what he wants for everything he says for the rest of the letter. May the undeserved favor of God be multiplied to you. Right? And he hasn't set that aside in order to talk about submitting to the government. He is saying this because he wants the undeserved favor of God to be multiplied to you. That's amazing, isn't it? And then he wraps up the letter. Look at chapter 5 and verse 12. As he's wrapping up the letter, uh, he says, By Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. So, everything he says in the letter, he's helping us to locate the grace of God. This, this is it. He's pointing to it. This is the, the true undeserved favor of God. Uh, stand firm in it. So he's helping us to locate it so that you would get into it and stay in it and stand firm in it. So uh, in, in a sense, what he's saying is don't let anyone lure you out of the pool of God's favor. And I, and I think he's talking about the, the pool of God's favor in the sense of where you go to enjoy, where you see and enjoy uh, the undeserved favor of God that is yours in Christ. Um, because we're inclined over and over again in so many different ways to think that the undeserved favor uh, is, is not right where it's at. Um, we want to be, we're easily lured away from the pool of God's favor, and, um, and we think it's better on the other side, but it's actually not, or maybe not on the other side, but outside of the pool. I mean, this is a little analogy, which maybe is kind of ridiculous. But stand firm in it. I'm, sa- I'm talking about something that you, it's in, you locate it, and you stay inside of it. That's why I'm using this pool pool terminology. Okay, where is that pool? It's inside of submission to government. You want to enjoy God's favor? Get inside of submission to government. You'll enjoy undeserved favor from God. You'll enjoy it. You'll bask in it. But see, you might be inclined to go, this is not very good. I don't like this. I don't like what the government's saying. I don't want to do those things. It's just unnecessarily restrictive. There is something better outside of submission to the government, I think, 
And you're lured away. And he's saying, no, 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 don't do that. This is, this is the true grace of God. This is where it's at. You're not there on accident. This government is not there on accident. God's saying, I have put the government there. Go and submit to this government. And this is the true grace of God. Stand for a minute. Right? So, man, boy, it just gives us a different perspective. Different perspective for me when I think about the government. When I read it in the context of what Peter is trying to say to us under inspiration of the Spirit. So, uh, I wonder how common it is for a Christian to be okay with breaking speed limits to get to church. Um, by the way, I'm convicted about this passage, by this passage, so don't say to me, so you never, because uh, that's really irrelevant. <laughs> so if we break the speed limits to get the church on time, what are we doing? We'd be violating this passage in order to be on time on Sunday morning so that we can get there and fix our hope on the undeserved favor of God. Peter's saying, what? What are you doing? What do you think the undeserved favor of God is? Where do you think it's found? It's found in obedience. That's where you enjoy it. Um, so, so by God's grace this morning, we'll see our law breaking, no matter what form it takes, as the ignorant rebellious, sinful attitude and activity that it is. How's that for hard? <laughs> Lord willing, we'll see our rebellion against the government, whether overt or subtle, to be part of the feudal way of life that Christ redeemed us from, that he died to, to save us. May God help us to truly stand firm in His transforming favor and purifying favor. And may help us to fix our hope fully on this heavenly grace that is coming to us. Um, children, like the rest of us, children like to make up rules as they go along. You know, I said, no tag backs. You know, I, call, I called it. I called front seat. Who made these rules? We don't know. We don't think about them. But we just like to make rules and make sure other people follow them. We all want to be in charge. I want to make the rules. But obviously, we can't all make the rules. Certain ones are supposed to make the rules. So who possesses authority in this world? Who makes the rules? Why do we have to obey them? The Bible is clear. God alone is the ultimate authority in this world. Right? He created all things. He's sovereign. 1 Chronicles 29.11. Listen to this. It's awesome. 1 Chronicles 29.11. Yours, O Yahweh, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and the earth, yours is the kingdom, O Yahweh. And you exalt yourself as head over all. You exalt yourself as head over all. It's awesome. Second Chronicles 20, verse 6. O Yahweh, the God of our fathers, are you not God in the heavens? And are you not ruler over all the kingdoms of the nations? Power and might are in your hand so that no one can take their stand against you. It's beautiful. So everyone has a moral obligation to obey his will. All men and women are to voluntarily place themselves under his authority, under his command. God is the ultimate authority, and so all legitimate human authority is derived from him. God delegates authority to some people in the world. Some are called to lead, to exercise authority, and others are called to follow. And uh, when we're talking about this kind of human authority, we're not talking about Intrinsic authority or inherent authority, we're talking about derived authority or delegated authority. All of it testifies to the ultimate authority of God, who's sovereign. So you've got Romans 13, 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, 
For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. God gives authority to parents, instructs children to submit to them. Children obey your parents, right? Ephesians 6, 1. He gives authority to husbands. Wives are to be subject to their husbands and everything, voluntarily to submit themselves to their husband's leadership. Uh, he's, Paul, Peter's going to talk about that, 1 Peter 3, 1. Uh, God gives authority to elders in a local church. Right? <coughs> Hebrews 13 and 17, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those will have to give an account. Uh, God has ordained an authority structure for work relationships, servants and employees are to submit to their masters or their employers. We'll see this in our next study in 1 Peter. Um, and so this is the subject Peter brings up in our text for this morning. Verse, look at verse 13 again. He says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme and so forth. Christians are to submit to authority. Not, not just to God, but to human authorities. More literally, Peter says to every human creature instead of to every, every human institution. As far as I could tell, every translation said human institution. And I don't know what you think about institution, but it's a little different than creature, every human creature. Uh, but then he's going on to explain which one in mind he has in mind. He's talking about human government, the law of the land. Uh, but Peter refers to them as creatures to emphasize the fact that God has made them and they are puny and they are nothing except for what He has made them and nothing more. Um, that's good for the leaders. It's good for authorities to hear. But it's good for us to hear too. Um, So be subject for the Lord's sake to every human creature, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or the emperor as, we could translate as being an authority, that's what supreme means, being an authority, he's top dog, he's over everyone, whether it be to the emperor as being an authority, or to governors as sent by him. And so the governors is, uh, he translated it different ways, uh, but it's all of those rulers, governmental rulers that are underneath the emperor. So there's all different levels of authority, right? Well, he's saying all of them. You have to obey all of them. That's what he has in view here. Believers should submit not only to the highest authority, but to all those who are in authority. So why does Peter bring up this topic right now in this book? I'm going to give you four reasons here. First, he's clearing up the possible misunderstanding that... Um, Citizens of heaven don't need to obey the rulers of another kingdom. Because he's talked about this, right? We're sojourners and exiles. You guys aren't from here. You don't fit in here. You're part of another kingdom, right? That's a big theme in the book. Starts out uh, chapter 1, verse 1, talking about we're elect exiles. And then chapter 2, verse 11, says that we are sojourners and exiles. Just traveling through. It says in our final destination, we belong somewhere else. Citizens of, of another place. So maybe Peter, people are thinking, hey, we're not part of this, this kingdom. We're part of a different kingdom. So it doesn't really make any sense for us to take our orders from them. So maybe they get a little confused because he's pounding this point. You're, you're a citizen of heaven. Uh, you know, fooey on Nero and Pilate. And Nero's a God-hater. You know, let him burn in hell. He's, he's a hardcore, ruthless, cruel pagan. And I'm a child of the king, the real king. I don't have to submit to him. Peter says, no. No, that's not right at all. Others might not go quite that far, but they might think, I'm not going to submit to them. They're all a bunch of ignorant morons. I have been rescued from a feudal way of life. inherited from my forefathers. I at one time lived in ignorance, but I've been saved out of that. All these guys are still in their ignorance. Why would I stoop to follow all their orders? Peter says, no, it's not right. So he's clearing up these possible misunderstandings, but he's also, second, explaining what it means to keep your behavior beautiful. Remember, he said that in chapter 2, verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Some translations have excellent, but it's that word beautiful, coloss, beautiful. Uh, and what's the significance of that, you remember? 
it's, it's a reflection of the excellencies that we're proclaiming, uh, excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. It's, it's a beautiful behavior that reflects the Lord's beauty. So He's promoting Christ-likeness and allowing us to fulfill our purpose. Those are made in, made in God's image. Our, the likeness to His image, the Christ's image, that was the image of God. It, that image is being restored as we behold His beauty and uh, admire Him. We're changed to be like Him, and so then in our behavior, we reflect His character. And so He's helping us to see how we do that. Uh, and this is, this is God's unmerited favor, right? Undeserved favor, that we get to behold His beauty and imitate Him. And then we're useful to Him. We fulfill the purpose for which He made us. And he's showing us how to do that. So this is the undeserved favor. Camp out here. This is where it's at. This is the most exciting stuff in the world. Submitting to government. Really? Oh, you laugh. You're, never mind. Okay. Number, th- <laughs> Number three, uh, he's showing how a successful war in the soul, from verse 11, will manifest itself in the obedience to government. Right? As uh, he says, as beloved, I urge you as soldiers and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh or fleshly lusts which wage war against your soul. This is what it looks like. Uh, as soon as he gives that little exhortation, submit to government, oh my goodness, we find out we got some passions. I don't like that. I don't like to do those things. And so he's saying, okay, here's where you start. Here, you want to know what you're supposed to abstain from? Let me just highlight a few of these rogue desires that you can abstain from. Right? So he's showing us how to do that, how to fulfill that command. Fourth, he's explaining how we are to live in hope and in holiness and in fear, as he talked about in chapter 1. This is how we stand in grace, and I've already kind of mentioned that one. Um, fix your hope fully on the grace that's being brought to you. Then he says, as he is holy... As he's called you uh, to be holy, so be holy and live in fear during the time of your exile on earth. Uh, Those are the commands from uh, chapter 1, verse 13 through chapter 1 and verse uh, 21. So now he's telling us how to live that out. This is what holiness looks like. This is what it means to live in fear of, um, of grieving your heavenly Father who's just. So if you want to apply that, you want to live in fear of displeasing your Father who loves you so much, then think about how you respond to government because He cares about that. Um, Many unbelievers submit to the government. Uh, Peter's not really saying submit to the government just like any other people, any other person would submit to the government. It's a distinctive way which we do it. Distinctive mindset, perspective that we have makes all the difference. So this morning we want to look at five characteristics of proper submission to the government designed to lead the Christian to stand firm in God's undeserved favor, reflecting His glory. That's what this paragraph is about. Five characteristics of proper submission to the government designed to lead the Christian to stand firm in God's undeserved favor, reflecting His glory. Number one, Peter says you should submit for the Lord's sake. So that command, be subject to every human institution, specifically the emperor and the governors that, that he sends out, that's, the, that's, the, that's what this thing is about, right? That's the main point he's telling us to submit, to be subject. And then there's all these other phrases. There's one sentence at the end, but mostly just phrases that hang off that one verb. That all describe further. So he's characterizing the submission, the nature of it. He's clarifying for it, uh, clarifying it for us. Okay, so be subject for the Lord's sake. He says this is the key. Christian submission to his government is for the Lord's sake. Negatively, this means your submission. You're not doing it for you. You're not doing it for you. Don't don't obey the law just to avoid a penalty. Don't obey the law only when your disobedience could be detected by a particular government authority. That's being subject for your sake. And Peter's saying, do it for the Lord's sake. 
not for your sake. The world is going to do it for their sake. Of course they are. They have fleshly lust. That's what guides them. That's the only, they never break free from that. And so the government has to crack down on them, otherwise we'll have anarchy. But for the Christian, we don't have to be forced to take our marching orders from the Lord. So we do it. Uh, also negatively, you're not doing it for the creaturely authority. You're not doing it for his sake. You don't do it for his inherent authority. You don't do it out of uh, cowing fear. You do it for the Lord's sake, not for his. So what does it mean positively to submit for the Lord's sake? I'm going to mention four things. One, the, the Lord is the highest authority, not creaturely government. That's one thing that Peter's clarifying when he says this. The Lord is the highest authority, not creaturely government. The Lord is over the emperors and the governors. Uh, of course, the Christians would never say the, the emperor is Lord, he's God, he's deity, as they were challenged to say and to believe at the time. Peter's definitely contradicting that, right, that idea. Um, so he's clarifying the Lord is is the motivation. He's, he's the one that we're aiming to please here. And therefore, uh, we, can take, we can draw this conclusion that obedience to the government can never include disobedience to our Lord. Because that, of course, wouldn't be for the Lord's sake. If we obey the government and in so doing, disobey our Lord. And that's why Peter said in Acts chapter 4, verse 17, well, okay, he didn't say it yet. Hold on given the context, in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us, these are the government authorities, let us warn them, Peter and these other guys, to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. So Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Why? Because it was the Lord Jesus who said, you will be my witnesses. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, under the uttermost parts of the earth. They had to go be his witnesses. They had to speak of what they had seen and heard. That's what a witness does. He's remembering his Lord's command to him. And that was ultimate for him. He was doing that for the Lord's sake. And that was worship. And it's awesome. And it magnifies Jesus Christ. Okay, so that's, that's positively, number one, what does it mean for the Lord's sake? The Lord is the highest authority, not creaturely government. Second, it's a matter of obedience to the Lord. That's what he's saying, for the Lord's sake. He's saying, do it as a matter of obedience to the Lord. Um, Jesus Christ is the Lord. He wants you to do it. Uh, if you disagree with the law and feel like you shouldn't have to follow it, even though it wouldn't require disobedience to the Lord, right? but you still feel like you shouldn't have to follow it, and so you choose to break the law, well, you might as well buy yourself a nice big scepter and a beautiful flowing robe with gold tassels and ask the Lord Jesus to move over so you can sit up on the throne because you want to make your choices. You want to have your way. And so Peter's saying, no, for the Lord's sake. Let's remember, he's the Lord. And so it's a matter of simple obedience that you do it, even though you may not agree with it, even though... It may not sit well with you, and it makes you feel very uncomfortable, even though it is to your financial disadvantage. That doesn't matter. You do it for the Lord's sake, not for personal benefit, not because it seems right to you. You do it for the Lord's sake. Wow, man, I feel very <laughs> compounding this. <laughs> oh, but it's exciting. Number three, in imitation of the Lord. That's what he means, for the Lord's sake. It means that you do it in imitation of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is our motivation. We're motivated by the fact that, that He was subject to rulers and commanded His followers to do the same. He's going to get to this more explicitly in a little bit. Chapter 2, verse 21. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. 
Peter had a very clear picture of what it means to submit to government authorities because he watched his Lord do it. And it took him to the cross. And he kept hearing his Lord say, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. So it's clear to him. He knew the cost. He didn't take it lightly. And so when he says, do it for the Lord's sake, he's saying, keep your eye on your Savior. You focus on him and you love him and you admire him. He went to the cross for you. Do you love that? If you love and admire him for that, you will imitate him. So do it for his sake. Do it too, out of imitation to him for his glory. Number four, do it for the glory of the Lord. I guess I kind of already talked about that. I have a hard time keeping it all straight sometimes, clear categories. Okay, for the, for the glory of the Lord, for the proclamation of his glory, right? Because he just said in uh, the prior verse, I'm going to have to, oh, oh, there it is. I have to open it up. Um, verse 12, I'm backing up, you know, a verse. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable or beautiful, right? Uh, Christ reflecting, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation, right? So we're reflecting His glory, and he's, so that would be transformative in other people's lives. And so you're doing it so that other people would see the Lord and His glory. And he's going to pound this point a little bit more as he goes. So make your submission to the government, worship to Christ. Make your submission to the government, worship to Christ, seeing Him, enjoying Him, and declaring His worth. Do it for the Lord's sake. So that's number one, first characteristic of proper submission to the government. Submit for the Lord's sake. Number two, submit appreciating God's purposes in government. Submit appreciating God's purposes in government. Verse 14, you are submitting uh, to governors as sent by Him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. To punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. So Peter speaks of two purposes of human government. And these are God's purposes. Purpose number one, to punish evildoers. Purpose number two, to encourage morality, to praise those who do good. Punishment speaks of the government's responsibility to make a wrongdoer pay the penalty for the wrong done. This, of course, would be sinful if it's done by you and I, unless we're police or judges or something like that. But if it were just regular old us, this would be sinful, right? We don't make them pay. We don't punish. They would be seeking revenge, and we should instead turn the other cheek. Making a wrongdoer pay the penalty of the wrong done is the responsibility of the government. Paul says it also in Romans 13, 4. He is uh, God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So some say the government is merely to reform criminals and to protect society from further crimes. But Peter tells us it's for punishment, for retribution. Governments that fail to punish wrongdoers disobey God's purpose for their existence, and it would be appropriate to respectfully rebuke them when they don't do that because it's God's purpose for them. Uh, so they punish the governments also to praise those who do good. This would reward those who do right and provide an example and incentive to others. This is one of the purposes of government. It's positive. Don't often think about that. Um, so submit to human creatures, Peter's saying, namely emperors, governors. Submit to human creatures. Submit to them as ones that are designed by God for these two God-given purposes. So Peter's saying, as you submit, remember God's design and appreciate God's design. Of course, no human government will fulfill God's purposes perfectly. Uh, the king is for the rewarding of right and the punishing of wrong, but they don't always see it that way, of course. Peter knows that. Peter knows it very well. 
still, some might say Peter was writing in ignorance. Uh, but, he, you know, Nero, he knew about that. Nero was indeed cruel. He tortured and murdered Christians without batting an eye. I think what Peter would say is still God's purposes at some level were being fulfilled. Evil, at least some evil, was being restrained, even with that corrupt government. And like every other corrupt government, that's the only kind there are. Government is like a dam against the river of depravity flowing out of the human heart. If the dam breaks, the world will be full of anarchy. And we see that more or less depending on where we go around the world. But everywhere we see some government, we see it dammed up, at least to some degree. And that is the grace of God. That's the grace of God. That's the undeserved favor of God. That that anarchy is dammed up to whatever degree it is. They're not perfect, so it's right for Christians to pray and work for governments that act according to God's will. We should be praying for that. For the Lord's sake, we should submit to an imperfect government, but we should do that appreciating God's purposes in government. Um, sometimes we have a hard time with the bitterness, but if we're seeing God's design in it, Seeing as good gifts, because he is generous, and it is revealed in living under government. That should help us. Yeah. So are you going to address the elders in the room regarding Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They honestly disobeyed the government. Yeah. Well, I talked about John and Peter, or, yeah, Peter and John. So if you look in today's world, not so, if you look at North Korea, where the leader does claim to be deity right. and prohibits gathering of Christians. You look in China, you yeah. look back into uh, the Emperor of Japan, who claimed to be a deity. And mm -hmm. then you look at Nazi Germany, so there's a question whether you know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer and then the Jews who use citing these, the Old Testament and obeying the government that said, no, let's be led to the slaughter. So at what point, and then you look at more recently with uh, what uh, like John MacArthur had mm -hmm. raised it and not closing his church. So, right. Uh, in Scripture, to point to exceptions, that's hard to do. So what would you say to that? Yeah. Well, yeah, Peter doesn't focus on the exceptions here. Uh, so I can't make the main point of what I'm saying about the exceptions. Right. That would be... That's why we do expository preaching. Yeah. <laughs> but he does qualify it. He does clarify it when he says, do it for the Lord's sake. And later on, he's going to talk about being slaves of God. So that means, and like I, I think with the example I gave in Acts 4, yeah. there's a time where we uh, contradict the government. We disobey the government out of obedience to our Lord. And in those cases, we do that for the Lord's sake. And so, at times, yeah, Christians have had to live in hiding. They've had to uh, sometimes openly, you know, defy the government. Um, and certainly there's times where the, uh, we were given, were given so many opportunities to communicate with the government. Here in the United States, it's a little different, right? We've given those uh, channels we can go through to have a voice. Civilly, Civilly right? But other times... We don't have those, those channels, and in different countries, we as Christians, as the body of Christ, we take whatever opportunities are given to us to make our voice known, and uh, we live in danger and trust the Lord. So, so disobedience uh, uh, to the government for many believers, I would say in most countries around the world, disobedience to the government is a regular part of their lives, and it must be so because those governments are defying the Lord. And so they do it for the Lord's sake. But everywhere that they can obey, they should. And everywhere, even with those corrupt governments, they should see that even the most corrupt ones, they're still, to some degree, staving off anarchy and providing some semblance of safety. Some semblance. Some of them were, were really scraping the bottom of the barrel to find it, right? <laughs> But there's still some of it, and that's what Peter's saying. 
And so we should appreciate it where it happens and rejoice in God for it. But uh, so does that? Yeah, it just, uh, I have friends of mine who look to Romans 1 and say, no, you obey or you will incur judgment. And, yeah. Um, then they say, find me a specific scripture reference that says this is the exception. And, and John made it clear, John MacArthur makes it clear, uh, we're not for safe the gathering of, the, of God's people, right? right. So I think he used that as that. Right, so, yeah. right, but what they're looking at is a specific, you can look to examples mm-hmm. where you can say, well, God's law says this, so therefore I'm not to disobey God's law, but you have to juxtapose those passages to yeah. get to that conclusion. It's not so I think if I understand you, you're saying some people would look at even this passage and That's say, correct. Peter says, you've got to submit to government, That's correct. no questions asked. And so if you do, even if they command you to do whatever, you should, you should just obey them. And, but, and then they point to Romans 1 where it says, if you fail to yeah. obey the government appointed over you, that God appointed over you, you right. will be subject to judgment. Right. Then again, I can point to the examples in Scripture where... Uh, they haven't, but there's, it's just mm-hmm. curious to me why God didn't specifically state those things. Those exceptions? Yeah. Well, I think He does provide them. I mean, you listed some. Yeah, exactly. And Scripture exactly. commends those to us as examples to follow right. um, and shows how they were God-fearing. They recognized the order of authority. Right. They were obedient where they could be, but where they couldn't be, they would not be out of loyalty to God. And this passage, I would say the person who says we should obey no matter what, they are contradicting Peter's words, submit to the government for the Lord's sake, because they're not doing it for the Lord's sake. It does not honor the Lord when they disobey Him. It does not honor the Lord when we forsake the assembling together. I mean, give us some more verses, but we're still breaking the one verse, violating the one verse, right? So You look at the conundrum we've been in in this country, you know, the proverbial farm bowling in the water. It's not an instantaneous thing. Well, yeah. We're not going to do this. It's over a period of time. So you have to right. then use wisdom and discern to figure out, okay, at what point in time do you then right. start? And again, we have, by the grace of God, at this particular time, still do have mechanisms by which we can do so civilly. Right. But it's hard then to figure out, okay, at what point? I mean, if it does, and it happens, again, frog bowling in water, but when it does happen, it happens quick, and you can look to just north of our border to see that where they're arresting pastors. And, right. Uh, and you're like, that's Canada. Right. Nobody does anything in Canada. <laughs> and yet, they're getting arrested. So, yeah. um, I guess, and, and you look at the, I mean, Chris preached a wonderful series of sermons uh, here mm-hmm. to wrestle through. So again, I guess that's my point is to obey, you can look to it's hard, boom, obey yeah. the government. To not, you know, to get to that point when not to obey, there's a bit more uh, consternation as to how to go about that, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I, I mean, I would say there's, there's clear definitions of when we are to disobey the government. One is if they forbid us from doing something God has commanded us to do. Um, it's kind of like the same as the inordinate desire. When is a desire sinful? Well, the Puritan said when it's inordinate, when we're willing to sin in order to get it or sin if we can't have it. So we have commands given and we have uh, things that God forbids. So if they require us to do what God forbids and forbid us from doing what God commands, they seem flip-flop, right? Yeah. Two separate categories, though, but either one of those, if we get in that category... For the Lord's sake, we must disobey the government. And, and I, got, I guess my point is, like, they, they, it, it, no, they will not right now in the United States, it's, you will not gather together and worship God. Yeah. It won't happen that quick, but over a period of time, as you see those liberties Stripped. withdrawn, yeah. then all of a sudden they will, and you sit there, oh, but you weren't supposed to, you're supposed to submit, 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 whoops, how did we get here? Right. So that's, I guess that's what I'm saying. There's got to be a point in time when you start saying, yeah, we need to 
uh, and again, that's not the purpose of the church. That's not what I'm saying at all. Yeah, I, yeah. Well, I hear you. And I guess, again, if it's the whole Dietrich Bonhoeffer discussion, yeah. then how you do that. So, yeah. didn't mean to disrupt it. No, no, that's good. <laughs> that's not a disruption. This is what we want to be clear on. So that's good. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, so here, when he says, think about the purposes that God has, he wants us to appreciate those God-given purposes. Um, it's a great blessing to have laws, to have judges, to have courtrooms, to have policemen. We have a lot of those kinds of things in our country compared to other countries, as we've just talked about. And so we ought to be very thankful people. And our hearts ought to be sweetened towards the Lord in light of His grace to us in those things. But sometimes we go, oh, courtrooms. We don't like courts. We don't like judges. We don't like... And they're not perfect. Not leaving because I didn't like what you said. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right, raise the hands, all who believe him. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that was beautiful. That's funny. All right, submit uh, appreciating God's purposes in government. Number three, and we must... Make haste. Submit because of God's will to accomplish a greater purpose. Submit because of God's will to accomplish a greater purpose. So submit to those governing authorities. Verse 15, for this is the will of God. What is the will of God? That by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Um. Submission to the government is God's will, and it's His will. What is His will? We could say, what is His plan? What is the intention that He has, the plan that He has, the agenda that He has? That by doing right, you may muzzle the ignorance of foolish men. He has a plan in all this submission. It's to silence the ignorance of foolish people. It's accomplished by doing good. That's, That's pretty much what He said before, right? Verse 12 through that excellent behavior. Um, I can't remember it now. I have to actually open my Bible. Uh, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Here in our text, verse 14, I think he's talking about the first step in that, on that journey to uh, glorifying God on the day of visitation. Step one is you silence them. Eventually, and then now they're silent, now they're intrigued, now they're watching, Um, and they're somewhat disarmed, right? But eventually they go, wow, what makes you guys tick, right? And that's the the 1 Peter 3.15, be ready to give uh, reason for the hope that's within you, right? And so then God visits them to save them. That's the goal. So... um, Righteousness and submission muzzle our critics. And when you look up that word for silence, muzzle, is uh, first definition in some lexicons. Muzzles them. Isn't that something? They, in other words, they, there's something that they wouldn't like about it. They want to keep going, but they can't. They're muzzled. Uh, some Christians who have spent more time reading the news than the Bible have responded inappropriately to foolish, ungodly men. They've gotten riled up and used means God doesn't want us to use to respond to ungodly men. So we need a clear understanding of God's will. This is the plan. This is the plan. It's a good one. He knows what He's doing. He wants us to submit to the government. He wants us to to keep our behavior excellent. And this is, again, undeserved favor, that He would call us to this, that He would enable us to do this, that He would redeem us for this. Beautiful behavior that reflects the glory of Christ. So remember, there's an evangelistic function of righteousness. So that's number three. Submit because of God's will to accomplish a greater purpose. Number four, submit because you have been freed in order to serve. Submit because you have been freed in order to serve. So look at verse 16. He says, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. So verse 16 begins with that word live, 
the New American Standard and the Legacy have the word act. Act as people who are free, but there's really no verb there in the original. Uh, Peter is saying submit as people who are free. Submit as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. You are free as a Christian. Live as one who's free. What kind of freedom uh, is Peter talking about? It's not specified, right, the context. In what sense are we free? We could probably think of some senses in which we're free. Uh, some of the great freedoms of the Christian life are well, it's the freedom about, from the uh, impossible obligation to earn merit before God by perfect obedience. We're not, we're not uh, obligated to do that. We can't do that, right? We trust in Jesus who's done it for us, fulfilled all righteousness on our behalf. So we're freed from that. We're justified. And so we're also freedom. We have freedom from guilt, right? It's a ramification of being justified. We're freed from past guilt. So we're freed from the obligation to try to earn His favor. But viewing past, we're freed from the guilt that we already racked up. Um, so we have freedom from those things. And then we have... Uh, freedom from the ruling power of sin. And that's what uh, Peter has in mind when he says, you've been redeemed from a feudal way of life, inherited from your forefathers. It's a way of life. It's that word, uh, way of life. Uh, well, it's one word. It refers to conduct, same word that's used, you know, the excellent conduct, behavior. Sometimes it's translated. You've been freed from that, so you've been given a new power to live the Christian life, a life of holiness or increasing holiness. Um, So then, okay, what does what does uh, Peter mean? Live as people who are free, free from guilt, free from uh, ha- having to earn favor with God, free from the power of sin. Live as people who are free, but then he says, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil. So in other words, there's going to be he's anticipating people are going to say, "I'm free, so I'm not, I don't have to obey the government." But what would that mean? I'm free. I don't have to obey the government. Uh, I have power to live a new kind of life. I don't have to follow my fleshly lusts. So I'm not going to obey the government. Well, that doesn't follow. That doesn't make any sense, right? So that can't be the freedom he's talking about. What would they say? I'm free. I've been justified. I'm not held account for all my sin. And so I don't have to obey the government. Is that the kind of freedom he anticipates his readers having or claiming? as an excuse for disobeying the government. It doesn't seem like it, right? I don't have to earn God's favor. So I'm going to disobey the government. That doesn't seem to follow either. Uh, but those are the three most common um, ways that I found people interpret this passage. And I can't make sense of these things. <laughs> So I prayed, Lord, would you help me understand this? So I think, I think, um, I think it goes back to this idea that we're, we're citizens of heavenly kingdom. And we're free from seeing people as having inherent and intrinsic authority over us. And we do have a higher kingdom. And so we might think, because I'm free, I've been transferred to a new kingdom, that I don't have to obey the government. I think that's what he's talking about. And I think Peter may have had in mind Matthew 17, 24 through 27. And I don't have time to explain it all. I'm just going to read it and leave you to meditate on it, okay? You guys want a little assignment? This is it. Matthew 17, 24 through 27. When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the tax? And he said, Yes. So in other words, Peter said, He pays the tax. Okay. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, What do you think, Simon? So in other words, Jesus apparently heard that conversation. He heard Peter had this question posed to him and heard Peter give the yes answer. Peter, or Jesus wants to bring it up for more discussion. Okay. What do you think, Simon? From, from whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? So I think what he's doing, I think he's trying to clarify for 
Peter, yes, I do pay the tax, which is something. But I want you to know why. <laughs> I, might, I, I'm not, I don't know that I'm uh, paying the tax for the reason you think I am. Actually, he knows, right? I said, I, I don't like putting words in Jesus' mouth. I always get myself in trouble. <laughs> so I try not to do that. Um, what do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? Does the government leader make his family pay tax? His sons pay tax? No, it's like shooting himself in the foot. Does that make sense? They don't have their sons pay tax. Because, okay, now you're taxed, so I have more money now to provide for you. Doesn't make any sense, right? You don't provide it for your own, you don't tax your own family. Okay, that, that's what you got to think about, okay? Because this is, you have to, whatever, I don't have time to keep going. Uh, <laughs> from their sons or from others? That was the question. For whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said, from others, Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. However, not to give an offense, to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. So it makes the point, you're one of mine. You're one of my disciples. I am free. I don't have to pay the tax. I'm in charge. And you belong to me. You don't have to pay the tax. There is a sense in which we have freedom. We don't have to. But don't for a minute think you don't actually have to pay the tax. Because I'm in charge and I want you to pay the tax. But you're doing it because of my authority, not because of his authority. You're free, but use your freedom for me. Because I'm the Lord. Okay, so I think Peter got that lesson and I think that's what's reflected in our text. Um, so look at our verse again. Live as people who are free. We're your sons. And he's been hammering this home, right? You're God's newborns. You're the family of God. You're obedient children. You're part of a new family, holy nation. Live as people who are free. Not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil, to hide your evil, make an excuse for it and cover it up, say, oh, this is all good. No, but living as slaves of God. As slaves of God. You're free. He set you free. But you're his slave. And you're his happy slave, his joyful slave. And remember, he's got a purpose in this. So use your freedom to honor him. Uh, okay, one final thing. Number five, submit giving due honor. Submit giving due honor. Verse 17 giving due honor. Verse 17, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. It's like, uh, you know, four sentences put together there. <laughs> He's uh, summing up, I think, what he said. Uh, it's almost like he's been uh, teeing up, and now he's heading home with these four things. But in all perspective, do, uh, submit giving due honor. Do means of the proper quality or content. That's what I found in the dictionary when I looked it up. Of the proper quality or content. So give the appropriate kind and quantity of honor. That's his point. You're going to honor the government. You're going to submit to them, recognizing the role that they play, but make sure it's balanced. Let me put it all in perspective. Let me stand back and put it in perspective for you, Peter says. I want you to honor everyone. Honor is to give weight, attribute worth to something or someone. So honor everyone, no matter their race, no matter their look, no matter their political view, no matter their moral character. We're all created in the image of God. So honor everyone. Looks different for different people in different situations. Uh, for the one who doesn't have the moral character, it looks different. You're not going to go praising all of them the same way. right? But you're going to honor them. They're important. You love them. You care for them. Honor everyone. Uh, in our culture, we like to ridicule those we disagree with, uh, interrupting people, misrepresenting them, accusing them without basis, shouting them down. Oh, my goodness. There's not much honor happening around us. We like to express all kinds of disrespect for others. But the church must be different. We honor everyone in our manner, in our tone. We honor them. Then he says, love the brotherhood. 
Oh, I don't want you to think everyone's just the same. No, we are, we're part of a new family. And there's a special affection that we have with the brotherhood, with believers. There's affection, there's tears, there's endearment. And uh, it's, this is an attitude, it's an action, it's an affection. Love the brotherhood. And then he says, fear God. So, and then honor the king, right? So fear God, don't, this is, this is something that's reserved for him. You fear him. Don't fear anyone on the earth. Don't fear, fear anyone in the church. No emperor worship. No, you, you tremble before holy God. Only God has to be feared. Only God is sovereign and supreme and awesome. Fear God. And then honor the king. You don't have to love the king. You shouldn't fear the king. You should honor the king. You should respect him. You should submit to him. And you should give him the respect that is due him in light of the position God has put him in. Not just submit to him, but that, kind, that submission is with honor. It's with respect. And if these Christians were to call to honor Nero, the emperor of Rome, then there is no excuse for us. We must honor the office. We should not be swept up into the, the mocking and the ridicule and the vitriol that has become the norm in our society. And certainly we, we must not participate in it. At times, like we've said, we call them to account. We deliver a rebuke. But we do it with honor. We do it with respect. We do all this for the Lord's sake, for the sake of the gospel. Sometimes God ordains wicked leaders to show the world what the church is made of. Um, many times God ordains wicked leaders, right? Obviously, it's happening. And God's sovereign. Why does He do that? It shows the world what the church is made of, because he calls them in response to those wicked leaders, hey, if, if, if they're not calling you to actually disobey me, I want you to submit to them. And not just submit, not just doing it with a bad attitude, I want you to do it with respect. Be, being careful what you say to them and how you say things about them. I want it to be beautiful. And I want some wicked leaders right now so they can see your beautiful behavior against this backdrop. Because I've got a plan in all this. I want your beautiful behavior to reflect on me. It is all about me. And so I want you to do this for the Lord's sake. Right? That's what the Holy Spirit's saying through Peter to us today. For the Lord's sake. So he wants to show the world what the church is made of. Or what we could say, what he's made the church to be by His grace. What's the church made of? It's made of what He made it to be. Undeserved favor. Undeserved favor is transforming. It makes us humble people, respectful people, submissive people. It takes hope, right? It takes hope. I mean, if we don't have any hope that God's sovereign and He's got a plan, we're going to freak out. We're going to defy this authority. We're going we're gonna, to you know, but hope, hope is transforming. And eventually, Lord willing, people will say, how, how is it that you have these kinds of attitudes? I mean, you have more disagreements with the government, I think, than any of us else. But you have such, you speak in such a different way. Were you asking about my hope? <laughs> well, the Lord is sovereign. I know the Lord. He's in control of what's happening. None of this stuff is an accident. And this is what he's called me to. And this is what happened with my Lord. Let me tell you about him. He came to this earth and he submitted to human government. And he was crucified. Do you know why he was crucified? Right, I get to explain this hope. And that's what Peter's saying. This is what it is. This is God's undeserved favor to you, that he would call you to this, that he would redeem you for this and strengthen you for this. It's about his glory. So this is, this is, the true, undeserved favor of God. Stand firm in it. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word.
Thank you for your grace. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for setting us free. Lord Jesus, thank you for redeeming us. Thank you for shedding your blood. Thank you for submitting to the worst government leaders in the universe. Thank you for going to the cross for us. Strengthen us as your people to have beautiful behavior. Ultimately, for your glory, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So drive safely. (laughs) Yeah, you're like, hey, you went over and then you tell us not to speed. (laughs) 